Welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast with Jacob Ayers, providing actionable content to help you along your journey to financial freedom through real estate investing. As the premier asset class, real estate has helped ordinary people just like you amass fortunes. The benefits of passive income from real estate investing will allow you to live a life you want. And now your host, entrepreneur, real estate investor, and apartment deal syndicator, Jacob Ayers. Hi, and welcome to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, episode 216. Hi, I'm your host, Jacob Ayers. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode. I'm so glad you're here. Today, we have a special guest, and that is Mr. Rodney Miller. Now, Rodney is a Texas native, but is currently living and doing business in my home state of Oklahoma, specifically the Oklahoma City area. Now, Rodney has owned and operated a wide array of businesses, ranging from a chain of medical practices to a music rehearsal studio, and of course, his current real estate holdings company, which is what we're going to touch on today. Now, Rodney's real estate business owns and manages over 100 single-family homes, commercial investments, and multifamily properties. And Rodney has recently transitioned into multifamily syndication, where he's done his first deal there in Oklahoma. So I'm excited to talk to Rodney today about the ins and outs, the challenges, how he was able to do that first deal with his group. So it's going to be a fun conversation. So without further ado, let's jump into this week's episode. All right, today, welcome on the show, Mr. Rodney Miller. Rodney, hey, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, man. Well, it's our pleasure. Rodney, hey, you and I were actually just bonding a little bit over the fact that you currently live in Oklahoma City. That's my hometown, well, home state anyways. And uh, yeah, so tell us a little bit about yourself, kind of your background. I know you've been investing in real estate for 30 some odd years now, doing lots of different stuff. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. God, that makes me sound so old, 30 something years. Well, you just got started early, right? <laughs> I think I started in 2003. So what a, maybe 25 years? Yeah, don't date me. I'm not that old. I'm getting that old. So yeah, my background is I went, I went to North Texas State University, which is what it was called back then. It's University of North Texas now. Got a degree and went and got a job as a claims adjuster and did that for a few years and literally hated it. Couldn't stand working in a cubicle. Just drove me nuts. And I started looking for my exit plan early on. And I was able to find a chiropractor getting out of school and partner with him. We bought a chiropractic clinic and I ran the business part and he cracked the bones. And then I bought him out a couple of years later. And then we grew that to a medical clinic with some medical MDs and medical doctors and multiple locations. And that's what I have today. I still have that. But a, a few years ago, I well, not a few years ago, 2003, I decided I was almost 40 years old and needed retirement or needed needed something to help fund my lifestyle later on in life. And so decided I need to go into real estate. And that's probably the best path to getting what, what I needed to retire. My dad retired at 55. And so I was 40 years old and uh, just kind of had a little meltdown, kind of freaked out. I didn't have any, any exit plans. So I started buying single family houses back around 2003, flipped them, wholesaled, did some lease options, contract for deeds, stuff like that. Wasn't a very good wholesaler. I was a good wholesaler, but it was like a job. You know how it is. You just have to find your next deal, your next deal. Yeah, right. It's not investing. It's really not. No, it's a job. Um, did that for a few years. And I wish I had those houses back because I must have wholesaled 200 houses, you know, in a five year wow. time. 
frame. So that's was pretty big, but it was a job. Decided to start holding properties, started holding rentals and got my IRA juiced up. I got a Roth IRA that buys houses. And, and so between those two, we've got about 105 houses right now that uh, we've put on really short pay downs, five, seven, 10 year mortgages. And so not a huge source of income for me, but just really low leverage stuff. Where we're really paying this debt down fast. And uh, someday maybe I'll sell it all off, roll it into multifamily or something. But so we got those houses. I still have the clinic that provides me the good income. The houses are paying down and really uh, we're starting to become free and clear with all of our properties. And so trying to, my next step is to figure out what to do with those. And uh, recently, the last two years, I said, I want to get into multifamily. I was always scared of multifamily because it's so big. The numbers are big. And you just think that's for the big, sophisticated investors. I think a lot of people go through that. There's like, it's single family houses. It's not a scary thing. You can rinse and repeat. They're not big numbers. Um, you can concentrate on one little project and it's a little project. If it gets out of, gets out of hand, it's not going to wreck you or anything. Yeah, right. Your family thing, man, this is just a whole nother animal. And, and I just don't. But I read a couple of books and it was like, it's not a big deal. It's like, there's a system for this. And if you follow the system and you really educate yourself, you can do that just as easy as you can do with single family homes. And so I started looking into that, studied for a year or so, went to some seminars, traveled around the country, listened to other people, hooked up with a, a mentoring group out of Dallas. Started meeting people in the business, started forming alliances and partnerships, started to talk to property management companies, brokers, and uh, got our first deal. You saw the prior deal. We, we bought, well, I had a deal in Dallas that went south because it caught on fire, but that was last July. <laughs> wow. Sounds like a story. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like 80-something units. It was a value-add property. Me and two other partners bought it. And well, we were going to buy it, but uh, like two weeks before closing, caught on fire. We couldn't work out the details with the seller, so it fell through. And we had to refund our investors all their money and stuff. It's kind of a nightmare. But we just closed our first deal, 100 units in Pryor, Oklahoma. And a lot of people were like, why would you buy something in Pryor other than Rocklahoma's there? If you know about Rocklahoma. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, Google just put a large data center there a few years ago, and they're investing $2 billion in this little bitty town. And so the town is just exploding, and they're building, they're going to build some class A multifamily, 100 house complex there, you know, with some retail. And so the little town, every house is full. Apartments are all full. We found a, a, a hundred unit that was sitting there, hadn't had a good rehab update. Rents were low. It was 100% occupied like everything else in the town. We were able to get that for a really good price and raise the capital and close the deal. And uh, we bought it off Mitt Romney's son. By That's kind of a cool little tidbit. Mitt Romney's son had wow. purchased that okay. a couple of years ago. Probably had a little insight into what was going to happen there, maybe. I don't know. But, uh, so I think, he, I think he made out pretty good. We got a good price. We were happy. So One thing you said I just kind of want to highlight on here, I think it's a little bit interesting to see your perspective as a guy who had so much experience in the single home space. You had over 100 single family homes in your portfolio, had wholesaled a couple hundred more. But here you are, still had that kind of trepidation, that fear about transitioning into multifamily because like we said, the numbers are bigger, the deals are bigger and scarier or they may seem that way, right? And so it just kind of shows like, you know, no matter how much experience you have, you're always going to maybe have that fear, that second guessing yourself going to the next level. So kind of talk a little bit about that mindset, how you made that transition from single family to multifamily. Sure. I found as I get older, you always think as you get older, you want to work towards retirement and slowing down. But as I get older, I feel like I've got to push myself and always stay a little bit uncomfortable because if I'm not uncomfortable, I feel like life is getting ahead of me. If I'm uncomfortable and I'm pushing myself into areas that I don't understand, I'm having to keep my brain sharp, 
and really study up on things and, and takes me to a new group of people. I just like to push myself a little bit. And so multifamily was naturally the next step for me. I was looking at commercial in general, but that always intimidated me. But it, one day I just said, you've got to get beyond this. You've got to just get, figure it out. The first step was just read a couple books on it. See yeah. if it's really yeah. as scary as you think it is. And after that, after reading a couple books, it was like, there's a system for this. It's not as scary as you think it is. And so then next step is meet some people. Let's meet some folks. And so I started putting out there, I want to meet some multifamily people. My banker told me he knew a guy that was doing multifamily and syndicating deals here in town. And so I went and had lunch with him and he's a super nice guy and took me into the, the main office of one of his complexes and showed me the books and how things were run. And that was a pretty big deal. And so basically, if you're scared of something, you just get, it's because you haven't been educated on it. Just learn what you're scared of and, and it won't be scary anymore. And that's the approach I took. Yeah, sure. I think this is a, I don't know if I'd go so far as to call it a character flaw, but something I recognize about myself is if I can't really foresee the entire process from start to finish, I'm always a little hesitant to get started. Like I want to know like step by step how this, whatever it is going to play out. Right. And with multifamily, you know, you got to spend some time educating yourself, but you also have to realize that you're gonna have to learn by actually doing it. So you have to take those steps and kind of jump in and get started because you don't know what you don't know until you get into it. Exactly. Exactly. And so I I'd say single family is easier. I mean, multifamily just takes a little more. You're going to get your pencil out. You got to learn a little bit about math. <laughs> you got to learn about spreadsheets. And, be able to, and I'm a, not a numbers guy at all, but you kind of kind of learn how to analyze deals because they're larger deals and there's a bunch of moving parts and you just got to learn to look at that and the key numbers to look at. And once you learn that, and you know, I analyzed deals for a while, but I learned really quick that I just don't like analyzing deals. So the next thing to do was find a partner that likes to nerd out on numbers. There you so go. I, okay. I got a guy in Dallas, we're partners and uh, he loves spreadsheets. So when brokers send me deals, I go out and meet brokers all the time. They send me deals. I just forward them on to him and he throws in a spreadsheet and thumbs up or thumbs down. And if it's good, we'll, we'll, we'll pursue it. So I'm um, just kind of filled that little gap there. So you don't have to be a numbers person. I kind of understand the basic numbers of real estate, of multifamily and commercial real estate in general. There's some good points that I want to touch on, but uh, I'd also like to kind of talk about these two deals. You mentioned this deal in Dallas, the fire before the closing. So I'd like to talk about that. Maybe not such a great deal. And then this prior deal. So kind of walk us through both of those, just high level. What were they? How'd you do them? Just walk us through the details there. Sure. So the Dallas deal, Deal. Two guys brought that to me because they needed more net worth on their resume for the lender. I had met them a few times at some real estate conferences. We hit it off. We, we felt good about each other. So they brought it to me and they'd already done a lot of the due diligence. So that was a pretty easy deal. I went and checked it out. I liked the numbers. I said, I'm in. I can raise some capital for the deal. So that was another piece of the pie if they needed. So I came in on the deal. We I can't remember the exact numbers. It was like $4 million, $4.5 million. I think we had to raise $1.4 million. It's close to one and a half million. So we raised the money. We uh, had our due diligence. It was going to go forward. And then the boiler caught on fire like two weeks before we were supposed to close on it. Oh, man. Took out the boiler, which we were going to replace anyway because it was old, and the chiller, and then one or two apartment units got smoke damage. Nothing nothing serious. It wasn't a really bad deal. So we went to the uh, sellers like you usually do, and we said, hey, just assign us the benefits, and we'll be happy to move forward and close this deal, and it'll be easy, and nothing will change. And then the sellers started getting kind of squirrely with us. First, they said, well, we want to handle the insurance claim and we want to fix the problem, but you guys go ahead and buy it and then we'll fix the problem after you buy it. We're like, <laughs> that doesn't work for us. Yeah. 
So tell us really quickly, how do you go to the seller mid-contract and say like, hey, things have changed. Obviously, the boiler, the chiller, all caught on fire, damage. How do you negotiate with the seller when you're in the midst of a contract like that? Well, we had attorneys. Yeah, attorneys sure. went back and forth. Then brokers started talking, you know, and they handled the, the we didn't directly communicate with the sellers, but it, we went to our, our mentoring group and said, hey, because several people had experienced this before. And that's the, that's the beauty of having a mentoring group and a group of investors and people, anything you're in that can you can rely on to give you some feedback. But this had happened before. And everybody's like, the deal's changed. There's a fire and and they just need to sign you the insurance benefits. You move forward to closing and then you you fix the problem and no big deal. But they weren't willing to do that. So we went back to them and, and so that was our preference. They wanted to fix the problem. Well, we learned later that they wanted to put an extra, they could fix the problem. They learned and put an extra hundred grand in their pocket. That's what they were. And it's a $4 million deal and they're trying to save a hundred grand. But so they weren't budging on that and we weren't comfortable letting them fix the problem after the fact because we were not in control. You have no guarantee that they're going to fix it to your standards or fix it at all, right? Exactly. So I think the other option was we'll fix it and you guys will just push the closing out for another 60 days or something. But we'd already had our investor money for 60 days and we, we yeah. didn't want to stretch our investors out any longer. So we went back and forth for almost six weeks. It just seemed to go on forever. And finally, we just had to say, we had a meeting with the partners and basically it was like, we've got to give our investors their money back. This is out of our control. We got to stop. And we went and visited the property too. And they had huge generators in the parking lot because what happened is took out a lot of the uh, the electricity in one or two of the buildings. People had to be put in hotels. Vacancy started dropping. They weren't maintaining that. These are out-of-state sellers. When we drove through, the place was just a mess. And we talked to some residents and they were like, yeah, they're just giving rent away. You know, they're not making us pay this money. They were just doing anything to keep people in there. It was just not a good deal. So we, we weren't going to get a good asset one way or the other. So we basically cut out on the deal. I personally paid my investors 6% on the money that I held during the time I had their money because I felt bad. Some of this was IRA money. Some of this was so paid my investors. And then after the due diligence cost and everything we had out, I think I lost 20 grand on my first deal. So yeah, <laughs> well, that's not too bad as to what it could have been. And uh, yeah. it sounds like it didn't prevent you from continuing on to the next deal. So no, I started looking immediately for the next deal. So yeah, <laughs> you know, so Kept looking for deals, kept looking for deals, had a couple other guys that we've been talking about partnering with. And so we we kind of got together. Uh, one lives in Springfield. That's another cool thing. You don't have to partner with people in your area for multifamily. One lives in Springfield, Missouri, and one lives in Dallas, Fort Worth. And so we picked a few years we were look at, started looking at deals. Got a deal in prior Oklahoma, and that's a hundred unit. It was a $4.2 million deal. Built in 1970, Class C, pretty decent shape. Didn't need a lot of money put into it. Very little capital expenditures. We were just going to start raising, fix the exterior, the office, increase the size of the um, washer and dryer room, and then start raising the rents. And so we, we already knew we were way below market rents. So not not a heavy lift. Now, you and I are probably a little bit more familiar with prior than maybe a lot of the listeners out there. But yes. you might consider your primary your tier one markets across the country. Most people can recognize. You might consider possibly Oklahoma City like a, a tier two or a secondary market, right? Yes. And then if you're looking at prior, it's got to be tertiary even below that, right? So oh, it's, it's probably sub-tertiary. So prior is it's about... Rural area. 
Yeah, 40 miles east of Tulsa, Oklahoma. And it's known for Rock, Oklahoma, this huge concert they have every year, I guess out in the field. And I think they had Ozzy Osbourne and a bunch of heavy metal guys there this last time. But Pryor really doesn't have a lot. It's a small town. I think the population is around 20,000 people. Yeah. But Google has put their data center there and they're bringing in, I think, 400 employees just for their Google data center. Look at Oklahoma pulling a little of that tech sector there. I like it. <laughs> yeah. And then there's also a, a place called Pryor Business park, which is one of the largest business parks in the country, rural business parks in the country. There's several big, large uh, Fortune 500 companies there expanding. Uh, Google bought out the, the, the business park has a uh, airport and a runway and they bought that, all that land up there and they're developing all around it. They're building housing and all kinds of stuff for their employees. And so I think it's two and a half billion dollars they're putting in the infrastructure of that little town. And so everything's full. All the hotels are full. All the houses are being people leasing rooms out of their houses. All the apartments were full. So it's not, we wouldn't normally go to an area that small. This was a super great deal, but this one made a lot of sense just due to the future plans of Google and the growth. And I know a lot of people say, don't put all your money into one company that feeds the area, but they're so early on and they're, they're playing. We felt pretty good about it. We have a three to five year exit plan on that deal. So. Yeah. So tell us a little more about the deal. How big is it? Did you syndicate it? How long did it take to close? Just all those kind of details. Okay. So it's a 40, it's hundred unit complex. 44.2 million. We raised 1.6. I think our CapEx was 400,000. I can't remember the amount of the CapEx. I'd have to look at the numbers. Yeah, sure. Very light CapEx. Not, not a whole lot we have to do to the property. It's brick and in really good shape on the exterior. The grounds look nice. Um, Mitt Romney's sons, I can't remember his first name, but they put a lot of money in the property before we got it. They did a lot of the interior rehabs. They went through a few managers. They're out of state and had trouble keeping off. But right when we, before we bought it, they hit it up to 100% occupancy. Just hadn't gotten to raising the rents yet. So left some meat on the bone there. So 4.2, raised 1.6 million. It raised it really quick, man. We, we over-raised. I think we got 2 million in and had to, it came in so quick, we had to refund a lot of our people their money back. So that was kind of a, a good problem to have. And so we did that by cutting, you know, somebody put in 200 grand, we'd only accept 100 and give them back 100. We did yeah. kick so that we closed from the date of contract. It took 63 days to close. We got uh, agency lending on that, 80% loan, 30 year, two years interest only, you know, standard stuff. So the cash flows, I think our cash flow is 13.5% overall return, 86% over five years. Now tell us what it was like doing that very first deal with essentially no multifamily experience to speak of prior to that. I don't know what your partner's experience looked like, but kind of walk us through any kind of hurdles or any kind of challenges you saw, either from it was the lender side or investor's side, being taken seriously by the broker or property managers. Just what was that like? Yeah. We leveraged our mentoring group and we brought in a fourth coach who has experience. He's, he owns several large properties in, in uh, Arkansas, some in Oklahoma. He doesn't do anything DFW. Arkansas, Oklahoma, maybe some, some in Kansas. But we brought him in just for that experience level so we could hitch our wagon to him. And so he kind of brought in the, the net worth on the deal, the experience. He knew the lender, Meridian Capital. And so all that went really smooth. I, I think what really shocked me is the amount of work that goes into putting one of these deals together up front. It's just a... 45 days of just craziness, man. Just trying to get the lender satisfied, working with the brokers, the brokers between the lenders. We had two attorneys, you know, our syndication attorney and then our other attorney raising the capital. I handled the capital raise. So I accepted the money from all the private investors, sent them out all their ACC compliance forms and they would leave one out and I had to get back to, you know, just all kinds of back and forth. It's just, it's like a beehive of activity, man. It's just... <laughs> 
nuts, man. I mean, you're just firing all cylinders. Or emails are being shot, texts. It's just it's going back and forth. You got a million people trying to get this deal closed, and it's stressful as hell. We thought it was gonna fall through the last minute, but my coach said these all go down like this at the last minute. They all seem like they're not gonna happen, but they do. And then it went down. And then after our closing day, it all just stopped. <laughs> It's like, <laughs> it's like you own it. Congrats. Yeah, management was there on site. They took over. Uh, they were ready to take over. They they let everybody else go. The regional was there. Everything just from that point on, everything, it was just like a whirlwind. It just stops. And then you got professional managers in there taking over. And now we're, we're meeting with them once a week by phone and looking at numbers and all that. And so I think that's what shocked me the most, all the work that goes into it up front and then how it just really levels out really quick and, and stops. And then you're free to go on and find your next deal. That's the beauty of it. You can scale the heck out of these things, man. Yeah, sure. Now I want to ask you a little bit about that property manager, because I've faced some of these issues looking in a little bit more of the rural areas of Oklahoma, not being able to find a qualified property manager or a property manager that special specializes in that size of property. So did you experience any challenges there? Did you have to bring in out-of-state property management or what did that look like for you? No, we used uh, Trinity Property Management and both of my, two of my partners have used them on their properties. So we had a familiarity with them. They're still a fairly small company, um, but they have assets and I guess they're not that small. They have assets in several states, but they're really, they have a big presence in Oklahoma, Arkansas, Kansas, Missouri. And so- a um, regional provider. Yeah, yeah. And so they were really Good work with the owner showed up and walked the property with us when we were doing our due diligence. We had partners that had prior experience with them. So it wasn't like we were just coming in cold and trying to learn who these guys were all about. So yeah, sure. that helped a lot. And it helped bring in the fourth partner in too, because he had a lot of experience with them. One of these kind of underlying themes I'm seeing here is you're just leveraging all kinds of other people's experience from partners to coaches, to lenders, to property managers. So, I mean, obviously it's a team sport, but tell us about how that just kind of really brought the deal together. That's probably one of the biggest lessons I've learned with, with multifamily. It's a team sport. You know, single family, you could do it on your own. I mean, of course you need your attorney and you need closing company and all that stuff. But I mean, but when you get into multifamily, you really need partners. I mean, I can't imagine trying to, to get this thing done by myself without my other two or th three partners on this deal, because we split it up. When, you know, I took the I took the money from the investors and then I did the SEC compliance and dealt with our two attorneys. And then one, my other partner dealt exclusively with the property management company and the due diligence. And then my other partner dealt with the lender. And yeah, getting the lender everything three big and buckets, so, right? And it'd be like crazy to think that you're going to do all three of those in yeah, 60 days yeah. and handle that. And so if I were to try to take that on myself, I don't think I would have gotten the deal done. So it really- I have it, no more hair left anyways, right? Yeah. And so you got your internal partners and then you you really need your external partner. You need a really good lender relationship, relationship with a couple of lenders. And we're still working on, on developing those relationships. You need to get a broker relationship, a broker you can trust and rely on and, and good attorneys, man. SEC compliance attorney is a must if you're going to syndicate. And then you need a local attorney to look over your contracts and- Transaction stuff. Right. Transactional stuff. Exactly. So those are big deals. So I feel like we've, we've got that nailed down pretty good. But um, yeah, teamwork makes the dream work. Is that what they say? <laughs> that's, that's, that's how that goes, I think. <laughs> yeah. So well, how did you find this deal? You know, was it a broker relationship? What was that? It was a broker relationship and I, it was listed, but we got in and I think we were, if I recall right. So we there was another buyer 
that couldn't close on the deal and we were second in line. You hear about that a lot. So the broker called us and said, look, I don't think this deal is going to get done. And so we were there and we stepped up, we were able to, to get in there. But it was a broken relationship. We had, we had met with the broker. He knew who we were. He knew we were actively looking in the area. Early on, I took the single family mentality into the multifamily. And so I, I got a list of multifamily owners, 80 to 120 units. And I did mailers and I got a few phone calls and talked to some folks about it. But when you think about it, those are one and done deals. If you bought something off a of mom and pop and that's the only thing they own, you buy that, you're done. The beauty with brokers is that if they like you and you prove to them you can close, you become one of their small go-to guys. When they that's find deals before, before they hit the market, they'll bring you deal after deal. Hey, you want to take a look at this before it hits the market? Or, you know, hey, let me let me show you this little pocket listing, man. Let, let me let me show you. So you just want to be friends with you want to make you might make friendships with these guys because and you need to prove that you close and you do what you say you're gonna do. And once those two things come together, then you have an endless flow of deals, man. And that's what's so different about a single family multifamily, it's that relationship with the broker that will really make or break you. Yeah, awesome. Well, I know you're part of a department investing group in Dallas. So kind of talk about how that's really accelerated your growth and been able to allow you to do these deals like this. Sure. So can I mention names? Yeah, please. I mean, I think everybody's familiar with uh, Brad Summerock. So yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm part of the Brad Summerock group out, out of Dallas. And so he's got a, a large ecosystem. Half the group is passive investors. Half the group is sponsor wannabes or people that wanted to learn the business and learn how to take down a deal. So it's a really cool little group that I haven't seen anything like it. So the thing that really attracted me to that group is that uh, when you find a deal and if you can run it by their team and they, it checks all the boxes and they like it, then you can push it out to their group and you could usually raise the capital that you need for the deal. And that's a pretty awesome, pretty powerful thing to do. And so I like networking with those people. I mean, there's people coming from all over the country, all over the world. We, we meet there about once every other month. I'm going to go next Saturday. And we, we usually take a bus tour, look at some of the new student properties, walking properties, get some education on various things that relate to us, and then go have drinks, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And network and, and build relationships. And so they're not going to spoon feed. You're not going to hand, you don't join up and get handed a list of 5,000 investors. You have to go there regularly, get business cards, come back to your desk and put them in your spreadsheet. And then you need to follow up with those people and, and build those relationships over time. So it's a cool group. I'm also a Joe Fairless student uh, and Joe has a different approach, but it's still a great approach. You need funding for it. Joe will say, hey, I like your deal. Here's five people who help you raise money. If you need more, let me know. I'll give you five more and he'll help you in that aspect. And Joe's really big on the podcasting and building your network, you know, and building your platform. And so um, he'll tell you, you need to get a podcast going or a blog or meetup group, all of the above, because yeah, you've got to sure. get the word out there. Because, you know, really me and you know, the key to this business is raising capital. If you can't raise capital, you're dead in the water. It's very important. Yeah, sure. Joe's a really great guy doing a lot of stuff. He's actually been a guest on the podcast like you and I were talking earlier in the podcast here back in 2017, I believe. So we need to get him back on. But yeah, actually, it's funny because you and I were both at the best ever conference back in February or early in this year, although we didn't run across each other, hadn't known of each other at that point. But yeah, I'm sure our paths will cross soon at another one of those events like that. Absolutely. I have no doubt about it. Awesome. Well, so you got your first multifamily deal successfully closed 100 units in prior Oklahoma. You like it so yes. much? Are you going to do it again? Well, yes, I am. So we just put an LOI in today for a $19 million property in Indianapolis. It'll be about a $5 million raise. We spent last week in Indianapolis looking at the property. We, we have our property management 
there with us. They've already looked at our pro formers and our numbers and they like it. We had the broker there walk the property, like it. And so moving forward with it. And so that's what I love about multifamily, the scalability. Yeah. You're just taking those same systems and processes and like rinsing them and repeating them, right? Doing a lot of the same stuff, you know? Yeah. And that's what you hear all the time. It's the same amount of work. And we, we realized that we're like, we just busted our ass getting this hundred unit done. Why can't we do it? This is one of those 332 units. Big, nice property. And uh, the only thing holding us back is the capital raise, which is a little scary. It's, it's going to be 5 million. And we're like, gee, you know, 1.6, we, we came in at 2 million because we were overraised, but we're like from 2 million to 5 million. That's a big jump. So the only thing that would keep us out of this deal is be able to raise the money, but we're going to go for it. Hopefully the raise will go well. We think it's a great property. The returns are outstanding. So we think we'll be able to do it. Like you said, you got to keep yourself uncomfortable, right? You do. And I'm very uncomfortable with this deal. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Not because it's not a good deal because it's the big raise. And so it's a big stepping stone for us. So if we can do this, who knows, man, the next deal, if we can pull this one in, the next deal might be a $30 million deal, you know? So there you go. I love that mindset. It's the capital raising, man. That's it. And taking care of those folks. Once you raise capital, taking really good care of them, communicating with them well and delivering them the returns that you promised them, yeah. not overselling them because they won't come back. So yeah, not only are you looking for new investors, you want to keep the old investors happy. So we're working on processes and systems. Processes and systems is a really big part of this business. We're really working on getting all of everything systematized, processed, so we can do this over and over again on a larger scale. So that's the next step for us. Awesome, Rodney. Well, hey, as we're wrapping up here, we've got a lightning round we'd like to end with. Just a series of questions we'll fire at you. I know you're cold to them, and I'm sure you can handle them. So I'm ready, ready man. For it. Yeah, give it to me. All right, good. Well, the first question in the lightning round was, what was your biggest hurdle getting started investing in real estate? And let's say multifamily for this aspect. And then what'd you do to overcome it? I think we covered that. That was the mindset, man. Mindset, 99.9% .9 of the hurdles you're going to incur in life when you're looking to do something new and scary. It was the mindset. I invested in real estate. I started in 2003 and damn it, I should have got into multifamily in 2004, you know, but I didn't. It was too scary. And so I didn't even look at it. And the years passed and the years passed. And just, I'm a late bloomer, man. It took me a long time to figure out that I need to take a hard look at it. And so if I could change anything, I would have started, gotten more aggressive with the multifamily way earlier. Yeah. Well, better late than never, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, do you have a personal habit that contributes to your success? My personal habit is I get up at five and work out every morning. I think yeah. that's huge. You've got to keep your mind and body in sync. And when I miss a week or two of working out, I start dragging and I don't know. It's kind of weird. It's just a mental thing, man. I start second guessing myself and I just don't have that feeling of self-confidence and I'm killing it. You get that workout in the morning, man, it just drives everything else. And I got that from uh, Richard Branson. That's what he's, I saw a deal with him a long time ago. He said, man, work out every day. It'll make your business so much more productive. I totally, I bought into that. I started doing it and it, it makes a huge difference. Yeah, definitely agree. Love that. Well, Rodney, do you have an online resource you find valuable in your day to day? CoStar. CoStar, there you go. Okay, explain to people what that is exactly. CoStar is the uh, commercial real estate broker's site. That's where they put all the big commercial properties. You don't get those on the regular MLS. Kind of pricey, but not only do you see all the, the, the new listings that come out, but they have really good market demographics and uh, financial tools to help you get underwriting reports on any area, sub-market, market yeah, data building. analytics, things like that, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. So it helps you drill down into your markets, your properties, and see who the previous owners were, how long they owned it, how much they put into it, what the market's doing, what the crime rate is. It does it all. And it's just a really great tool. I think I spend 250 bucks a month for my area. Pricey, but I don't think I could do without it. Not for multifamily. Yeah, sure. 
Ronnie, what book would you recommend to the listeners and why? Millionaire Fastlane. Okay. Have you read that book? I haven't. It's been on my reading list for a while, but I just that reading list grows and grows. Yeah, and I'm saying it because it's the latest book I read, but I really enjoyed it. Of course, Robert Kiyosaki books are awesome. And yeah. I think my next book's going to be that fake book he just came out with. Oh, man, I've, that's the next on my Audible list. Yeah, well, that's what I do. I listen to books, yeah. too. I listen okay. when I drive around. That's how I stay productive. I stopped reading a while back. But yeah, man, uh, Millionaire Fastlane, just get, if anybody that you know that's young, trying to figure out their life, ah, such a good book, man. It just tells you, it kind of explains the slow lane and the fast lane, the slow lane being W-2 employee the whole, your whole life, putting 10% of 401k and, and trying to retire, and, as opposed to just think bigger, go out, start a business. Just try to get there faster. That's what it's all about. So Awesome. For the audience members, we'll link that book in the show notes if you'd like to pick that up. Rodney, last question. In the lightning round, if you were to go back and give advice to your 20-year-old self to get started investing in real estate, what would you tell yourself? Put down the beer, <laughs> chasing women, stop chasing girls for a little while, and focus on your career. <laughs> yeah, sure. Definitely so. Yeah. Most yes, people sir. just, you know, want to tell themselves, you know, hurry up and get started sooner, you know, get started bigger, quicker, sooner. So, yeah, it's kind of a common theme. Hey, you know, honestly, that would be going back to my 30, 35-year-old self, too. So, yeah. I just, I owned the clinic for, when I was 27, I bought that clinic, but I kind of coasted along for a long time, and I wish I had those years back. I wish I would have started real estate a lot sooner, but uh, that would be it. Just kick myself. I kick myself in the butt and say, let's get going. Yeah. Well, Rodney, if people want to reach out to you, learn more about you, connect with you, meet up with you, where's the best place for them to uh, do that at? They could call me 405-204-1715 or go to tridentmultifamily.com and they can reach me there. Okay. That's tridentmultifamily.com. We'll link that website in the show notes for our audience members to go check out if they'd like. And man, I just have to say, I love the uh, 405 area code on the podcast. It's like music yeah, to my baby. ears. It's like, excuse me, that kind of sense of home, you know? So I love that. Cool. Well, hey, as we're wrapping up here, Rodney, anything I should have asked you, brought up, mentioned that I didn't? Any parting piece of advice you'd like to leave with us? You did a great job, man. I think what you're doing is awesome. I think that you're getting out there and educating people. It's just an awesome thing to do. And I've listened to some of your stuff. It's just, you're, you're doing a good job, man. I'd say, keep doing what you're doing, man. Someday I'm gonna, I want to get a podcast going and, and kind of do what you're doing, but you're a big inspiration, man. So, well, thank you very much. Hit me up next time you're in Oklahoma City, man. We'll go have I lunch. I certainly will. All right, Rodney. Well, hey, till next time, take care. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thanks, man. All right, take care. Bye. All right, that wraps up this week's episode with our guest, Rodney Miller. As you can tell, Rodney is out there making things happen, doing multifamily deals, and overcoming all kinds of challenges to grow his real estate business and keep himself uncomfortable, as he says. So if you'd like to learn more about what Rodney is doing or reach out or connect with him, you can find him at tridentmultifamily.com, which is linked in the show notes for you to find. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or would like to reach out to me, you can do so at www.jacobairs.com. Till next week, engineer the lifestyle you want. You've been listening to the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom podcast, providing you actionable content to build your real estate empire. Nothing on this show should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for personal advice. The opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have a potential for profit or loss. 
The host is operating on behalf of the Real Estate Way to Wealth and Freedom, LLC, exclusively.